I would wake up at 6 a.m. I would go down there and train before everybody woke up. I do all my training before everybody, everybody woke up. One morning, I'm, I got done running on the treadmill, and Sugar Ray Leonard shows up. He says, hey, Tony, done with your workout? I said, well, I'm done with my run, and I'm going to hit the bag now. He says, you want to spar? And normally, during that show, the, um, the cameras followed you around everywhere. This shit, they followed you to the bathroom. But... <laughs> When I, will, when I would train, nobody was up. It was great. And Sugar Ray Leonard says, you want to spar? I'm like, are you kidding? Of course I do. So yeah. we put headgear on, we put gloves. And I went three rounds with the 1976 gold medal winner. Wow. And it was, it was probably by far the best part of the show, and nobody knew about it. Hello, Minnesota boxing fans, and welcome to another episode of the Minnesota Fight Night podcast. I'm Brian Johnson, and my co-host is Sean Strauss. Well, you just heard the voice of Minnesota Boxing Hall of Famer Anthony Bonsante as he described an encounter with the great Sugar Ray Leonard during a taping of The Contender, an NBC TV reality series featuring 16 boxers fighting for a chance to win a million dollars. Tony didn't win the big prize on the show, but he got a lot of face time and represented Minnesota well. Before the contender, Bonsante was already a well-established professional boxer. Among his big wins was a nationally televised bout against Tony Ayala in a clash for an IBA world title. Bonsante was a big underdog, but he walked away with the belt after finishing off Ayala with an 11th round TKO. A native of Crosby, Ironton, Minnesota, Bonsante is also well known for his decision victory over St. Paul's Matt Vanda in 2007. The two local rivals clashed in front of a packed house at Target Center in one of the most highly anticipated fights in Minnesota boxing history. Prior to turning pro, Bonsante won five Upper Midwest Golden Gloves titles in a stellar amateur career. In the following interview, Anthony shares some great stories about his experience on The Contender. He also talks about working with legendary Minnesota trainer Bill Kane, gives his thoughts on the current state of boxing in Minnesota, and much more. I hope you enjoy the interview. All right. Hey, Sean, how are you? Good. How are you? Not bad. Hi, Brian. Uh, Tony, hi. How you doing? Not bad. Not bad. Can you see me or not? I, we can't see you. We can obviously hear you, but... Uh, Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to do this for you, Tony. <laughs> that is the best song in boxing history. I love that. That's, that's a great ring walk, I have to say. I, uh, it is. And, and the funny thing is, when me and Bill were trying to figure out which song and he led it up to me, it was either that one, uh, Bad to the Bone, or White Snake, Here I Go Again on My Own. Oh, all of those are good choices. Yeah, but the, the Aaron Tip one was Blue Collar, Straight At You, Here I Come. Oh, that's, uh, it's a good fit. It's a good fit for you. So It is. I, I, I love that song. Did you ever see him in concert or anything? I did. My my girlfriend actually brought me up there to, uh, oh, it was over in Monoman. Uh, he was playing in a, uh, 
it was him, two others, and I actually got my picture taken with him. It was unbelievable. Oh, wow. I told him the whole story about his song being my entrance. He said, are you kidding me? Next time you fight, you call me. I'll show up. I'm like, well, I'm 150 years old. I'm pretty sure I ain't. <laughs> Uh, I, I saw him in concert up in Hinckley, I believe, uh, a number okay, of years sure. back. Good show, yep. yeah. Yep. So, well, thanks for joining us, Tony. It's really an honor and a privilege to have you on our podcast. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I have to say, you know, it's, it's been a while since you've been in the ring. And so I was wondering if, you know, just I obviously want to talk to you about the contender and the Vanda fight and all that stuff. I know Sean wants sure. to ask you about your amateur career. But uh, just since it's been a while since uh, we've heard from you, I'm just uh, curious what you've been up to and, and how you're doing and how the family's doing. Well, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. And thank you for having me on. I love being on talking about boxing. It's the favorite thing I ever did in my life other than my two kids. So yeah. um, I, uh, I'm i 50 years old now. I live up in Brainerd, Minnesota. I, uh, I work for an HVAC company, Cross Lake Sheet Metal. I'm an HVAC tech. Okay. And um, I love living up in God's country. My mom and dad are up here, my brother, my sister, um, my daughter's up in Bemidji now. And my son is still down in Shakopee, but uh, I love being back home. You know, I'm 14 mm -hmm. miles from mom and dad. And I, I always said, you know, you could take the boy out of the iron range, but you can't take the iron range out of the boy. So, and I'm back home now. So, and I feel very fortunate to be back here with a good job, good family, wonderful girlfriend. So yeah, I'm happy. Yeah. Well, that's great. How, how, how are mom and dad doing? Uh... Dad will be 80 years old in April. Wow. Mom is still full of piss and vinegar. So you know, <laughs> she's, she's probably the only one that I think I'm afraid of still at this point in my life. <laughs> and, um, you know, dad gives me wonderful advice. Mom kicks my ass every once in a while. So yeah, I like it. We, we, yeah, we enjoyed the, uh, when she got a little FaceTime on the contender, it was always good to see your mom and the, the kids, of course, they must, they're all grown up now, I'm sure. Oh yeah. My daughter's 27 years old. Wow. She's engaged. She's going to get married here in October. My wow. son is 23. He works down in the cities for a construction company, works nice. about six days a week, 12 hours a day, but he's young. He can do it. So, yeah. Well, congrats. You have a, a wonderful family there. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. So, yeah, I was. we were talking briefly before you got on, Tony, and I was telling Brian about how not only were you a five-time Upper Midwest Golden, you know, Golden Glove champ, but it was in five different weight classes, and that's just amazing to me. Um, and I was just wondering uh, if you could talk a little bit about it. Um, I, I also was reading about how your, your dad was trained uh, by Tom Heron also, um, your dad, Frank. Um, yeah, yes. Um, and there's just so much history up there. I've been doing research on the golden gloves and amateur boxing and the Herons, especially, man, they got a lot of them up there. And I saw another one that I wasn't sure, but I figure he's got to be related to you as uh, Joey. Yep. Yep. So back in the day in the late seventies or well, the seventies, my biological father, Frank, was a boxer for Tom Heron. Um, and that was during the Joey Crutchman days. And um, Frank was a decent fighter. He, was, he wasn't a boxer. He was more of a fighter. And he'd lose his temper. And 
he was strong, but he drank too much and he smoked too much. So he really wasn't, you know, as good as he could have been. But I was 10 years old. I asked mom if I could box and she said, hell no, you're not doing that. But um, I convinced her to let me do it. I, my first fight was at nine years old. So wow. I'm half tempted to come out of retirement and fight again, because then I could say I fought in six different decades. Wow. Yeah. And there's not too many people that can say that, but I'm 50 years old now and it'd probably take me two years to get in shape. But um, yeah, I won five upper Midwest titles and they were at five different weight classes. And I'm pretty sure it's because I couldn't maintain the weight year after year because <laughs> yeah. I was still growing. But um, my first one, I think, was at 132 pounds. My last one was at 165. And that was against uh, Brad Croker out of uh, Cass Lake. So, yeah, it was a good run. We had a lot of fun. And the best part about that, Sean and Brian, is I was from Brainerd the whole time. And we'd come down. And, of course, all the cityites were favored. <laughs> But the, the kid from the Iron Range came down and showed a lot of heart, a lot of drive. Not the most orthodox fighter in the world, but he did what he had to do to win the fight. So it, it was a lot of fun. And Tommy, Tommy Heron was probably the best amateur coach I could have had because he taught me respect, discipline, and never give up. So Awesome. As you transitioned you know, out of the amateurs and went pro, um, did you jump right in with Bill Kane or, you know, how did that work for, for your coaching? You know, I, my last amateur fight was at in 1991. And then I um, took four years off. I got married, uh, moved up to Bemidji, went to school. Um, I was going to go to school to be an elementary education teacher. And in 96, I wanted to, Oh, no, not 96. I think it was 92 for the Olympics. I tried amateur one more time and got to the Eastern Olympic finals. And actually, I lost to uh, Ross, the boss, Thompson. And, um, or no, not Ross Thompson, David Reed. I'm sorry. David Reed. I lost to David Reed on a split decision. And he ended up winning the 96 gold medalist. And then I turned, I was going to turn pro in 96, but we couldn't get any pro fights. I was with Bill Kane and Tommy Heron always told me, he says, if you ever turn pro, there's only one guy you should turn pro under, and that was Bill Kane, because he, because he actually cared about his fighter, and he knew boxing. And he, Bill was probably the smartest, most analytical coach you're ever going to meet, because he studied tape, and I didn't watch any tape, Sean Bryan. I didn't watch any tape of any fighter, because that's what I had trainers for. Mm -hmm. And Bill... I mean, it'll come up a little later, but I fought Tony Ayala and Bill analyzed that fight for weeks on end. And he told me exactly what we needed to do to win that fight. And that's to stay away from his left hook. But Tom Heron told me, he says, there's one guy and that's Bill Kane. So I approached Bill. I said, would you turn me pro in 96? He was retired at the time and he had just trained. Um, oh God, what was his name? he was a middleweight as well. Really good fighter. Not, not Shomer, but the Anthony Stevens, he was a Walter weight, right. Anthony Stevens. And that was the last fighter he had trained. And he said, yep, I'll come out. And we trained at the Bloomington karate center in uh, Bloomington, Minnesota with CB Bunkholt. Mm 
And of course he was a kickboxer and I can't kick, but we uh, did a lot of training there. And Bill, boy, I tell you what, I miss him. I miss him so much. God rest his soul. But he was by far the best boxing trainer that I could have had because he kept my best interest at heart. How did that work for training? Because you being up north um, and him being down here, um, you know, that's quite a hike. You know, how did well, that work? At, at the time, Sean, I was living down in Shakopee, um, working third okay. shift at the Kmart Distribution Center. So okay. I just moved back to Brainerd here probably four years ago. And I had spent 25 years from 93 to about 2014 down in Shakopee. Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, I lived in Shakopee. I'd work till seven o'clock in the morning. I'd sleep till one. I'd wake up, I'd go to the gym, train with Bill and CB, come back, spend some time with the kids, do homework, catch a one hour nap and then go to work. You know, so that's a busy day. (laughs) It is a busy day, but you know, you only live once and a good friend of mine, my best friend in the whole world, Luke Gens told me, he says, you only regret the chances you don't take. And yeah, I was going to ask you about him. Uh, I, I saw that he trained you a little bit too uh, towards the end. Yep. Um, and I didn't yep. know anything about him. I saw that he was a, a friend of yours, but I didn't know yep. what his connection to boxing was. Well, he was a, so to go way back, um, when he was nine years old, he was a ring bearer in my first wedding. Very good friend of mine. His mom and dad were good friends of mine. And Luke, I was probably 11 years older than him at the time. Still am, obviously. But um, he was a great kid. He loved sports. He loved boxing. And um, when I retired the first time, I had moved back to Crosby, and he wanted me to come out of retirement. And I still had the itch. I still had some demons down inside. You know how that shit goes. And uh, so we trained. We fought a cop out of Missouri down at uh, Badness Heights, I believe. And he loves the game. He's a student of the game. He had some amateur fights, but he knows how to train somebody. So he trained me and uh, he works as the, uh, he owns his own concrete company and his own mantle shop up in Emily. And okay. really good guy, stay in contact with them. And um, yeah, he, he brought me out of retirement. And it was fun. Yeah, great. Yeah, my dad really loved Bill. Um, he became friends with him. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I don't know exactly how my dad met Bill. Um, I, my dad was training briefly some fighters on Uppercut. Um, and okay. I, I think you were there a little bit at yep, the time. I remember meeting your dad, Paul. Yep. Uh, he he yeah. said that, uh, you know, I, which was one of the things I wanted to say thanks for because my nephew, I guess, was tagging along one day. And uh, you signed a picture for him. And, you know, I just thought that was really awesome. I remember that that. to this day because he was a little nervous. Your dad was there and he was a little nervous to ask me. But and I was always about the younger kids, because if they took the time to come to the fights or to watch, I wanted to make sure they got what they wanted or they deserved because you start them young. They get it in their blood and then they want to compete. And whether they compete or they're a fan, at least they're there, you know, and Paul, your old man came up to me and he thanked me very much. I said, Hey, my pleasure. You know, that's the future of this, 
game is, is the young people. And, and it was a, it was a highlight, you know, he came to the gym and it was fun. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I was going to ask you too, because around that time, you know, you're training up at uppercut. Um, and I was going to ask about that. Cause if I recall, I think Bill was wheelchair bound at the time. And I think you'd go pick him up and, and bring him up to the, to the gym. And yep. uh, I was just going to ask how, how did that, you know, go about it, you know, for a routine? I know you're already a busy guy and now here you're doing that, which I think it was great because Bill's so awesome. Right. Um, sure. I was living in Chalk, but he was living in Lakeville, but I, I know you guys know Jeff Flanagan. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. he, uh, owned a, he owned a car dealership in Burnsville and Jeff's a wonderful guy. In fact, I've bought my last two vehicles from him, but um, I would meet Bill there every day. I would pick him up. I would uh, put the wheelchair in the back of the truck. I would help him into my truck and we'd go up to uppercut and I would get him ready. I'd wheel him into the gym. And at that point, you know, the, the niceness went away because Bill, he was a hard ass. You know, he, he was a great guy, perfect gentleman. He had my best interest at heart. But when it came to boxing, if you weren't doing what you were supposed to do, Bill got on you. And, and I love that about him because he made me want to learn. He made me want to be a better boxer because when I was an amateur, I was more of a um, fighter. Bill taught me how to box. You know, it all comes from the jab. 80% of my punches were jab. I have alligator arms for arms. I have no reach at all. And uh, Bill taught me how to use that jab. And you set him up with the jab. And we had a lot of great talks going to the gym and back and forth and you know, I miss the guy because he was like a second father to me. You know, Rudy Thompson's my dad, but Bill Kane was, you know, he, he was unbelievable. And I'll never be able to thank him enough for what the guy did for me. I'm blessed to have talked to him a few times on the phone. He'd call for my dad and I'd get to talk to him a little bit. And uh, sure. he'd ask me, what's going on in boxing? You know, and if I tell him what what little I knew, you know, I'm just a guy watching it on TV. My like, oh, so and so's fighting, and we're we're excited, we're gonna watch it or whatever. And he he'd think sure. that was fun, and yeah, that he'd be in the loop. And I know my dad would go see him um, at his yep. house and stuff. But uh, I only met him in person once. It was at Uppercut. Um, oh, and okay. it, when I say sure. met him, it was more like I was I was there hitting a speed bag while my dad was doing his thing, and he was watching me. And it made me really nervous <laughs> that Bill was watching me. Yeah, exactly. And if Bill took the time to look at somebody, it means he cared. You know, he, he cared about your well-being. He cared about you as a, a person and as a fighter. And, you know, that to me showed a lot of uh, character, you know, and a man's own. And I tell my 23-year-old my son this all the time. Man's only as good as his word, and Bill was a man of his word, and I appreciate that about him. Yeah, that's great. You could tell he was dedicated because I remember some of those fights when, like Sean mentioned, he was wheelchair bound, and I, I know there's a, as I recall, a big guy there at ringside who actually physically lifted him up into the ring. Is that is my yep. memory correct? He used to box for Bill, and um, we hired him to come in and lift him up and down the ring and into the ring ropes because Bill was in a wheelchair and he couldn't physically walk up the steps. 
So Al would lift him out of the wheelchair and bring him up the three steps and on the outside of the rope so he could talk to me and train me during the fights. And, you know, I, Al did a wonderful job for that. And Bill was very grateful to Al for that. And obviously so was I, but yeah, he, he had a, he had a deterioration of the back in his spinal column that put him in a wheelchair probably while he was like 89 years old. And, but he was still had, he had more brains than anybody I know as far as fighting goes. He could still call it like it was, you know, and I appreciate that about him because he was able to analyze, pick apart a fight and develop a strategy in order to win a fight. And if you didn't follow the strategy, you'd lose, but if you follow it, you'd win. You know, it was that damn easy. Uh, you know, I, I wonder if we could transition a little bit to uh, some contender talk. Uh, first of all, I, I'm curious how you got that opportunity. Did they just have a call out for boxers to audition or how did that work? Well, actually, Lisa Bach, who, you, who owned Uppercut, um, I was training there at the time. And she had mentioned that they have this TV reality boxing show coming up and how I should train or audition for it. I said, hell no, they're never going to pick some dumb redneck from Minnesota. You know, and I was, I was the biggest redneck out there. And Lisa said, but that's just it. They'll grab onto your story. Cause at the time I was a divorced dad helping raise two kids working third shift. And we flew out to Los Angeles and Scott Ledoux was helping train me at the time. Bill was not in the picture at that time. And Scott and Lisa were helping me train. So we flew out there. And what they did is they gave you three rounds of boxing. If they like what they saw, they give you another three rounds. After that, if they gave, if they liked what they saw, they give you an interview. And of course, I'll be bull blunt honest. I was not the best boxer out of the, all that, but I was, I had a personality and I had a story, you know, and the interview, I think, is what got me on the show because I told them how much I love my kids, how much I was working third shift and how much I uh, loved being a dad. And I think they grabbed onto the story and they went with that. There was 10,000 people that interviewed or auditioned for that at the time because they didn't know if they were taking pros or amateurs. Okay. And somehow they picked some redneck from Cross Grant Minnesota. <laughs> Well, you know, it was a great, it was a great show and a great season, and that season one was by far the best. Oh hell yeah! In in my humble opinion, um, you got a lot of FaceTime and, and represented Minnesota very well. I thought. Um, Thank you. And I, I I'm wondering what that was like, um, just being in the house with all those other fighters and with Sugar Ray Leonard and and Spice Stallone. Um, how crazy was that for a like you said, a guy from, you know, Crosby, well, Ironton. <laughs> here's where, here's where my bold, blunt, honesty, no tact comes into play because um, we had 16 guys in there. We we're all living together. And in all honesty, it was drama. It was, they were a bunch of drama queens. Um, I didn't, I, they asked, why are you like that? I said, look, I don't want to be your friend. I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to win a million dollars. And if I have to kick your ass, I will, mm -hmm. you know? And when I beat the hell out of Brent Cooper, 
all those guys were mad at me. Well, if oh, it's I a normal that. fight, yeah, you remember? If it's a normal fight, I'm punching him till he goes down. That's yeah. what Bill Kane taught me to do. You know, right. you don't stop throwing punches till the guy's on his ass. Yeah. And they got mad at me. Issy Smith got mad at me. You know, we had a little quarrel. I said, look, you guys, I, I don't know if you sit down when you go to the bathroom or not, but man up. You know, well, one of the other things about that show that was so weird was um, the team aspect that they tried to add to yeah. it, which was like boxing is an individual sport, you know, like an individual person sport. I didn't get where they were going with that at all. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we had the challenges that we had to work as a team, but in reality, whoever won the challenge, that team got to pick who got to fight next, and then they got to pick who they could fight. And if you watch the show, they don't show you this, but right from the get-go, they said, because I was the oldest one on that show at the time, I was 33 years old when that show was getting taped. Mm -hmm. And they said, because I was the oldest one, I could have Brent Cooper. I don't know how they knew Brent Cooper was not that good, but they said, since you're the oldest, you can have Brent Cooper. But then when they saw me training, sparring, um, they said, well, you're a little better than what we thought, so you can't have him. You know what? And when we won the challenge, I basically said, screw you. I get to pick who I want. Right. You don't fight my fights. You don't pay my bills. You don't do that. And I said, I'm the one that puts food on my table, not you guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So screw you. I'm doing what I want to do. Yeah. You it know? made a whole I, lot of sense to me. Like, like I said, I didn't understand that whole team thing. And when they right. were all mad about it, I'm thinking, well, what do you care? It's like, you know, everyone's out for themselves, you know? It's a exactly, Sean. It's boxing. They can't help me in that squared circle. Yeah. You know, and to this day, um, the only one I think I talk to, every once in a while I'll talk to Tarek from Detroit, Michigan. Yeah, yeah. And even during the show, he was the only one that come up to me and said, you know what? I respect you for what you did. Even Sugar Ray Leonard, Sylvester Sloan come up to me afterward and said, you did what you had to do. Mm. Yep. You know, and the unfortunate thing is Jeremy Williams, who was hired by the show to train the West, mm. when I was fighting Jesse Brinkley, I had that fight in the bag. Oh, yeah. Three rounds to one. But yeah. in the fifth round, that dumb heavyweight Williams told me, he says, you need to go out and win this round. Well, I wasn't paying any damn attention. If I'd have just if I'd have took that round off and lost, I still would have won the fight. Clearly, yeah, yeah. Yep. You know, and in my opinion, I know I could have beat uh, Sergio. You know, he's a long, lanky uh, guy that all I had to do was pin him in the corner, rough him up, and throw some hard punches because he mm -hmm. hit, he couldn't break an egg. You know, Sergio couldn't break an egg, and mm -hmm. I know damn well. And the show actually wanted the rematch between me and Peter Manfredo because I fought, I fought Peter in 2003 before the contender. Right. Right. You know, and I went 12 rounds with him in his hometown and I was on an anxiety medication, which takes all my aggression away. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that Scott Ludo got so pissed off at me after that, when he found out, cause I should have been off that anxiety medication and I'd have kicked the piss out of him. So uh, how did that work? Because, you know, you got Bill Kane and then you said you were working with Lisa and Scott going into the show. But then when you're yep. actually on the show, you said, you know, they brought in these other people to train you. And I mean, 
add to the confusion that factor you know like i said it it was confusing with the team aspect but then you right. got guys who are working with people sometimes their whole lives you know through the amateurs and then into the pros and all of a sudden now you got to work with some strangers to me it's also kind of like that with the olympics like when fighters all of a sudden want to go to the olympics now they got to use different trainers i just don't don't really get it what was that like but at least in the olympics sean the head coach has your best interests at heart right you know, Jeremy Williams, he was in it for the, the, the show. He was in it for the FaceTime. And he was actually really good friends with Jesse. Really? Oh, uh-huh. yeah. You know, and, and I actually chewed him out afterwards. I said, you dumb Neanderthal. What the hell were you thinking? You know, why didn't you tell me to go out there, stay away from him, throw the jab? You know, because I would have won the fight. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it was very frustrating after that to watch it because – in my mind, I could have won that tournament. Yeah, yeah. You know, but yeah. unfortunately. Well, then, and, uh, Brinkley, then you had the the unfortunate deal to lose the rematch when everyone thought you won it, like I thought you won it. <laughs> oh, I have to ask you about that. Uh, no, well, I, I want to ask you about that because you deserve credit because you prompted one of the all-time great Teddy Atlas tirades against judges i don't know if you ever exactly. saw that <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. and there, there's many but that yeah. one was epic <laughs> oh yeah ahead, it was great because after that fight um i was so pissed off i walked to my locker room and then in the background i hear everybody cheering for me and at that time bill kane was my coach again yeah and i in the locker room i hear him chanting my name I'm like, screw it. I'm coming back out. Yeah. And Mark Burnett and everybody's saying how I should have won the fight. There was 10,000 people there. I think 9,900 of them thought I won the fight. Yeah. And I, even I re- Jesse Brinkley thought I won the fight. I, and you know? Ishe Smith. I recall Ishe Smith approached you and I could read his lips. He said, you won that fight. Exactly. And Ishe and I didn't even get along. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's funny because you bring that up. Uh, uh, Sean or not Sean uh, Brian you bring that up after the show was over Ishe and I actually got along great we would text each other all the time on uh, messenger or through Facebook or we would call each other and Ishe by far in my opinion was the best fighter on that show yeah you know as far as styles as far as skill as far as toughness Ishe was probably the best fighter on that show yeah, and he, yeah, he, he went on to fighter. briefly hold a world title uh, he, when he beat uh, another contender guy, uh, right? Canine Bundridge. Yep, exactly. Sergio won a title too, but yeah, you know, that was that was spoon fed to him, you know. So, but you know, Ishe had the style, the 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 professionalism, and the boxing prowess to be a world title holder, and he did a great job. When I look back now, that show was taped in 2004. That right. was 17 years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm like, holy crap, how does time fly that fast? I know. You know my daughter was 2003, and she was born in 90. She was 10 years old, you know, 11 years old. My son was eight, seven, you know, and I look back now and how time flies, and I don't know that any of them are still fighting. I don't even know. You know, I, I don't think so. I think I there. Think so. Sergio Mora recently announced his retirement, and you know, okay, I, he might. Yeah, I think. 
um, Alfonso uh, Gomez retired, you know, uh, yeah. he was, he was around, you know, later after the show, sure. um, he actually had sure. some good fights. Um, he did, but you look at the amount of punches he took. Yeah. Yeah. He would swell up too. What about, uh, who was the guy who, um, you know, uh, unfortunately committed suicide with a Najee Turpin. Yes, exactly. Do you um, have any uh, dealings with him at all? It's funny show? because he was actually uh, my roommate. Wow. In, during that show. And the first night, he slept underneath his bed. Wow. And I, I asked him, I said, Najee, what the hell are you doing, bud? Super nice guy, quiet. Yeah. And actually, he was a very good fighter. He was a very good fighter. Super nice guy. He had a beautiful young daughter. Um, mm -hmm. He said, Tony, where I come from, if you don't sleep under your bed, people come into your house and they just start shooting. Wow. Because he was from Philly. And yeah. I thought, oh, my God, this poor guy. The, you think about that and put it in perspective psychologically what that does to somebody. Wow. You know, and... You know, I don't know the demons he had within, but when the show was done taping and we all went back home is when he did what he did. And we had a fundraiser for him and raised quite a bit of money for him and it, for his daughter and his family. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of sad because you look at it in perspective of what might have been for that guy yeah he had a beautiful young daughter um and for him to be in that much pain and do what he did he had to have he had to have thought about it and just wanted to be done and i pray i prayed for him i still pray for people in that situation day in and day out you know yeah it's heartbreaking it, it is. is. And he gave Sergio a heck of a fight, as I recall. Oh, yeah, he did. Yes, he did. Najee was a tough SOB. I mean, let alone he came from the streets of Philadelphia, but he was built like a brick shithouse. You know, he he could fight, you know, and it was a perfect style for Sergio. Um, I mean, one was a boxer, one was a puncher. Like I said, Sergio really couldn't break an egg, but Najee could knock your head off. But he, Sergio danced around, tried to get away from him all the time, and used a jab, which he had to do to win the fight. But if Najee would have got him in a corner, pinned him, he would have knocked him out. You know? Yeah. And, and yeah. boxing is all about styles. And Billy Kane told me that. He says, you box a puncher, you punch a boxer, depending on what you're doing. You know, that's why during I, the Ayala fight, I was a boxer. I stood on the outside, stuck my jab. When I had to drop the hammer, I did. And that was in the 11th round. But it took me 11 rounds to be able to tire him out and go in. You know, but <laughs> boxing is a game of styles and perseverance. And your trainer has to develop that plan and that strategy to win the fight. You just have to follow it. Yeah. So when you fought that, Ayala, like that was uh, yeah. for the... Uh, vacant IBA world super middleweight title, right? Yes, yes, yes. Dean Chance, who was a pitcher for the Minnesota Twins, was the chairman of that organization. 
And Sugar Ray Leonard actually is the one who promoted that fight. Oh, wow. I was the main event, and I met Sugar Ray Leonard at the time. Of course, he was an Ayala fan, but I went up to him. I said, I'm going to beat this guy. I think me and Bill Kane and my mom and dad were the only four people in that arena in Norman, Oklahoma, that thought we were going to win that fight. And mm. sure, sure enough, we did. And I went up to Sugar Ray Leonard after the fight and told him, I said, told you so. And then just so happens, two years later, he's on the contender. And he remembered that. It was kind of fun. <laughs> what, yeah, what was that like working with uh, Sugar Ray Leonard and, and, and Spice Lone? I mean, did you did you soak up as much knowledge as you could from oh Sugar Ray? Oh, my God. I tell you what, Brian, it was unbelievable because during the, I mean, we're all in one loft and I would wake up at 6 a.m. I would go down there and train before everybody woke up. I do all my training before everybody, everybody woke up. One morning, I'm, I got done running on the treadmill and Sugar Ray Leonard shows up. He says, hey, Tony, done with your workout? I said, well, I'm done with my run and I'm going to hit the bag now. He says, you want to spar? And normally during that show, the um the cameras followed you around everywhere this shit they followed you to the bathroom but <laughs> when i will when i would train nobody was up it was great and sugar ray leonard says you want to spar i'm like are you kidding of course i do so yeah. we put headgear on we put gloves and i went three rounds with the 1976 gold medal winner and wow. it was it was probably by far the best part of the show and nobody knew about it that's probably why it was the best part of the show you know, and he gave me tips. He gave me pointers. He said, Tony, you got a lot of heart. You got a lot of determination. And I'd like to see you be successful. And I said, well, give me some pointers. I said, I'm not nearly as fast or nearly as slick as you are. So give me something. He says, what you need to do, Tony, is just be aggressive. He says, you're, you're challenged for height. You're challenged for arm length. Just throw a lot of punches. Get inside use your heart and go after these guys. And I'm like, well, shit, that's simple enough, mm -hmm. you know, but he took time to give me advice out of his day. And it was unbelievable. Sugar Ray Leonard was a great guy, super guy. And not just in front of the camera because nobody saw that part of it. And he was still a great guy, mm -hmm. you know, and I got a story about Sylvester Stallone, <laughs> you know, because he's a big, rough, tumble guy. He's, and I'm only 5'9". I'm vertically challenged as it is. And Sly's a little shorter than I am. He's like 5'8". But Wait. he says, the camera always shoots me from down below and make me look taller. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. He called me in the office one time. And uh, I was the oldest one, and we were talking. He knew I liked to drink beer, and he knew I liked to smoke cigars. <laughs> and believe it or not, you guys, he gave me an Arturo Fuente cigar that's probably 12 inches long. And I still have it. It's in the box. Wow. If I were to light it right now, I'd probably start on fire and burn the house down. But <laughs> he gave me a Heineken beer, and I'll never forget it because we sat there and BS. He yeah. was talking about uh, Brigitte Nielsen. But I asked him, I said, Sly, I said, in front of the guys, you're just a hard ass, tough. You're almost like prickish. And he says, Tony, I'm sorry. He says, but that's what my manager and my agent tell me to do so I get certain roles. Because one-on-one, -on -one, he was unbelievable. He was funny, charismatic, oh. and it made sense at the time because 
in front of the guys, he has to be the big, tough, rumble guy so we get certain roles. And I get that. But you know what? He was a great guy. Great guy. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Great stories. Yeah. Great stories. Yeah. Yeah, he what just sold his big house out in Cali and moved to Florida. Well, he's old. He's probably got to get down there. <laughs> hey, uh, speaking of old, uh, you and I are old enough to remember uh, uh, marvelous Marvin Hagler, right? Yeah. What, God, uh, any thoughts so on him? What a legend, huh? Oh yeah, in you know, back when middleweights were middleweights or welterweights were welterweights, he was a middleweight, and I remember him fighting Duran, Leonard, um, yeah. and a lot of people say that Leonard was losing that fight. But, mm -hmm. you know, you look back at it and you watch it, technique and points, I believe Leonard won that fight. But Hagler, he was probably one of the toughest middleweights out there, in my opinion. You know, yeah. Roberto Ryan was tough, but Hagler was just mean, bully. He'd get the job done. He did what he had to do to win. Oh, yeah. You know, and yeah yeah and i would love to see him back in the day fight um floyd uh mayweather jr you know that yeah. would have been a great fight because i'm not a big fan of floyd mayweather i think he's a punk but i believe marvelous marvin would have just whooped him yeah he was he was old school i remember uh i watched live that fight with with hearns the classic yep. fight with Hearns oh. on closed circuit tv it's still to yep. this day the best fight i've ever seen live that um, first round was unbelievable it was it they was. went after each other in the first round it was a 15 round fight back when men were men and you fought 15 rounds right right uh, I wanted to ask you also about, I believe on the contender, um, Angelo Dundee made an appearance and I think had a little training session, like a one-on-one -on -one with Manfredo. Um, but yep. did you have any, um, did you talk to him at all or get to know him at all? You know, Angelo Dundee, um, obviously the, the trainer for Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, you know, did great things with him. And he was... I remember that day because he came in and we were all in awe because, you know, he trained Muhammad Ali and he was renowned trainer, you know, and a lot of people were surrounding him. And I just kind of laid back and let him let the guys talk to him and this and that, because I wasn't one to want to take up somebody's time, mm -hmm. you know, and, but I said, hi to him. I shook his hand. I said, I respect you. Um, and thank you for being making Ali what he was. You know, yeah. Cosell did his job making Ali what he was too. You know, Cosell and Ali made each other. You know, if it wasn't for either one of them, I don't think they would have been nearly as famous as they were. Right. But, you know, Angelo Dundee, um, I put him up there with Eddie Futch or I put him up there with, uh, well, Billy Kane. But there, um, what's the guy now that has, uh, oh, he's down in Florida. He used to be a boxer. Freddie oh. Roach, sorry. Freddie Roach, yeah. Great trainer. You know, I, I put Angelo Dundee probably top of those lists, but Eddie Futch was good. And Emmanuel Stewart out of Cronk Gym. Yeah. You know, phenomenal. You yeah. know, and, you know, I, I, and Tarek Salmasi from the contender used to fight with Emmanuel or train with Emmanuel Stewart. 
you know, and he would always say how good Kronk Jim was. You know, Jackie Callen, who helped manage Tariq, you know, was on the show as well. And the first lady of boxing, phenomenal. You know, super sweet lady, nice. You know, yeah. she's like Dick Clark, though. She never ages. I don't get it. <laughs> and they made a movie about her with what, Meg yes. Ryan? Yes, yeah, I, I, that great show, great show. Gosh. Yeah. Hey, um, I have to ask you, of course, about the Vanda fight. Um, okay. That that how long had you been wanting to make that fight? I know you'd been they've been talking about that for quite a while before it finally got made, right? Sure. Well, yes, you're right, Brian. I had wanted that fight for years and years and years because, and Tommy Burnett, Brian Burnett, and Tommy, God rest his soul. Um, passed away obviously but Tommy was actually a pretty good trainer you know he knew how to bring up a fighter you know and, and get get wins get tough fights and he did what he had to do to get Vanda where he needed to be and I wanted that fight for a long time because I knew it would be a big drop because um, the Predator had a following I mean he he had probably by far the best following in the state of Minnesota you know and at the time, him and I had bad blood between each other, you know, and when the fight was announced, you know, um, I, Rachel Blount did an interview for Star Tribune and I told Rachel, I said, the guy was um, so incompetent, he had to have his last name tattooed on his chest so he knew how to spell it, you know, but I was also saying a lot of stuff to sell tickets. Yeah. And, and you know, and after the fight, Vanda come up to me, come up to my kids. And he was very respectful. He was very gracious. And he told both my kids that it was a tough SOB. And it's funny because now Vanda and I get along great. I talked to him on the phone. I talked to him on uh, Facebook. And it's funny because you bring that up, Brian, during that last fight where Caleb Truax fought Caleb Plant. Yeah. Vanda and I were talking on Messenger at the time. And I just felt as though Caleb had no heart and he just got his butt whooped and, and didn't initiate anything. And I like Caleb and he's done a lot for Minnesota boxing. He really has. He won that IBF title overseas and shocked everybody. And I was very proud to be from Minnesota when he won that title. But this last fight at 37 years old, he didn't really show any heart or determination and it kind of, um, I don't know. It did make me feel real good about how he performed, mm. you know, and Vanda actually made a comment. He said, you could whoop his ass right now. I'm like, Oh boy, don't get me started. I'll have some hunch to come out of retirement, <laughs> you know? And part of me says at 50 years old, give me four months to get in shape. I could probably win a split decision. Funny you mentioned that because if you could talk Vanda into coming out of retirement, you guys could fill up the armory pretty pretty uh, easily, I'm sure. Well, and, and I thought about this, Brian. I thought, well, shit, I could have Luke in my corner. I could have Vanda in my corner, my son, and I'll fight Caleb in a 10-round main event, main event somewhere, and I know we could draw fans. I'll bet you we could get at least 5,000 people. Oh, yeah. You know? We, we talked your ear off, Tony, and uh, we don't want to take up oh, too much. It's fun. I could talk boxing for days. I love it. 
no, I just wanted to say thanks. And, uh, you know, I'm happy that I got to be there when you were inducted into the Minnesota Boxing Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. That was the, the only that. induction that I've, uh, ceremony that I've been to, which is unfortunately the last one before all this COVID stuff hit. Um, right. But I, I was happy to be there and uh, to, to clap and cheer you on as, you know, you and Vanda both got inducted that night. That was great. Yeah. And uh, it was fun. It was a great night. And, my kids, the highlight of that whole night for me was having my kids induct me, you know, give my speech. And it was phenomenal because my whole career for boxing, I wore the number one dad hat and it was all always about the kids, you know, and my daughter and my son know more about boxing than a lot of people because when we're watching fights, my daughter will be pointing out stuff that they should be doing. I'm like, what the hell? She actually learned while I was fighting, you know, and it's kind of fun to watch. So yeah, Minnesota boxing hall of fame was a great night. Um, I just wish Bill could have been there, you know, because he deserved to be there and he's a member of the Minnesota boxing hall of fame, but I wish he could have been there because he was a big part of that. Tom Heron, who was my amateur coach, um, you know, a, I've had a lot of good coaches through the years. Luke, you know, Scott probably, Scott Ledoux, God rest his soul, wasn't probably the greatest coach, but he's a decent guy. But I remember him telling me one time, he says, Tony, just go in there and trade punches with these guys. I looked at Scott and I said, Scott, I don't know if you've had a mirror or if you looked in a mirror lately, but (laughs) your damn head looks like a catcher's mitt. He's a big, dumb, white heavyweight that took a lot of punches, but he was successful because he was tough. Yeah, you know, and again, just so you guys know, he was a tough redneck from Crosby Arrington. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, before we let you go, I just want to get your thoughts real quick on just the, the state of boxing in Minnesota right now. You mentioned Caleb, the former world yep. titleist. We've got Jamal James, David yep. Morrell Jr. I, I saw you had a show at the Armory a while back, back when there yes. was live events. Yep. Chatted a little bit. Um, what do you think of some of those guys, like like Jamal James, for example? And uh, you know, Jamal James is trained by um, uh, Fraser, uh, Greg Fraser, and I only know him as Greg. I forget his name that he goes by now, but um, Sankara Fraser. Yes, yeah, Sankara. Sorry, yeah. back in my day when I fought his kid Adonis, mm-hmm. he was Greg. So, but <laughs> Sankara Fraser. But Jamal James, in all honesty, is a very fluid slick power puncher that's got it all you know and i wish him well i hope he wins a legitimate world title someday Mm -hmm. uh the two fighters right now that i think are on top of their game for the state of minnesota are probably robert brandt and jamal james and and it's funny because when robert first started coming up i was training an uppercut and he was an amateur and i was spar with him and um, I told Bill, I said, Bill, someday this kid's going to be something. That kid showed a lot of talent, a lot of uh, um, future, you know, and I thought, oh, my God, potential. And I thought, wow, this kid's going to be something. But between Jamal and Robert, they're probably the two best fighters to come out of the state in a long, long time, other than probably Del Flanagan and Jackie Graves. Yeah, you know, know, and I can remember I'm not old as that, but, you know, I I look back and I studied a lot of boxing back in the day. You know, Del Flanagan was probably 
the uncrowned champion. You know, he fought all these people that but was never for the title. Yeah. You know, and he beat them. Mm-hmm. You know, and Dell Jackie Graves is a tough SOB as well, you know. And oh. uh, I really can appreciate where Minnesota is now, but where it's also came from. You right. Know, there's a history behind Minnesota boxing. And there's a future for Minnesota boxing as soon as this damn COVID's done. So, yeah, we got April 25th test event for uh, Golden Gloves up in Hinkley with no fans. Um, and okay. then it sounds like uh, in May, I want to say I'm, I'm being told May 8th at the Medina Ballroom, there's apparently going to be boxing. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. I, I just heard that on Facebook from a, a kid down at Red Wing um, that I'm friends okay. with. Um the only problem with that, I told him, was that's the night that Canelo's fighting Billy Joe Saunders on the pay-per-view. And I was like, ah, I, was like, I don't know. I kind of want to watch Canelo. Um, but yeah, yeah. I gotta, if a local fighting is going on, I'm, I might have to say, all right, Dad, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to local fights. <laughs> right, exactly. The local fights, you can always see the replay of the Canelo fight. Exactly. Yep. I love yeah. local boxing. The great thing about local boxing, you can see these guys in the ring and they work hard and they're they're they got regular jobs you know like exactly you, you can talk to these people you can talk i can talk to you or uh, yep. or, uh or jamal james or someone after the fight and just say hey good job you know try to do that at a vikings game you Don't can't that, you can't get high price egotistical so. pricks is all they are yeah. You know? yeah and you look at what jamal's done in his neighborhood oh you know? yeah mm-hmm. you look at what jamal's done for the circle of discipline you, yeah. you know a He's he's a guy that's people look up to and yeah. they can try to emulate. And he's doing a great thing down there. And I give Sankar a lot of credit because he does run a respectful, disciplined gym. Absolutely. You know, and I wish Jamal well and I wish Robert Brandt well. I wish all of our local fighters well. You did a little commentating there for one of the local uh, when yep, they had that. I did. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Okay, but it was yeah. a Vander Williams fight, wasn't it, at the casino? Yep, he fought Bill yep. Williams. exactly. I thought you yep. had a nice job there. I thought maybe you'd have a future in that. But. Well, and that would be fun. I mean, uh, that'd be fun to do because I know I know a little bit about boxing and I know a little bit about styles and st- styles make fights, you know, and um, it, it would be fun. I would love to do it, you know, so. Yeah, cool. Well, Good luck in, in all your endeavors. Uh, you know, I hope we can stay in touch. You know, maybe we can. Yeah, anytime you guys want to get together or give me a holler. If you're ever up in the Brainerd Lakes area, give me a call. Both of you got my numbers. We'll go out for a cocktail or a beer or something, smoke a cigar. That sounds good. <laughs> sounds good. We'll take you up on that someday. All right. Sounds good. Awesome. Hey, Brian, Sean, thank you very much for having me on. Take care. Oh, thank thank you. you for being on the show. Love it. You bet. Thank yeah. you. Later, right. champ. Thank you.